have we got a show for you? I've no idea what we'll do. Welcome, my friends, to this charming tableau. Have we got a show for you? Hello, everybody. Welcome to this week's episode of Strangely and Friends, the podcast. My name is Strangely. This is the podcast. And uh, if you're listening to this, you're pretty much one of the friends. We also have a special guest this week. Not live in person, but my dear friend Sarah Shea sent me a wonderful sort of audio postcard thing that will be a guest contribution. So stick around for that. There's also going to be two songs in this week's episode, so we've got a lot of fun stuff coming up. Uh, I should probably comment on something that's going on. Uh... I got some little, uh, some seed packets in the mail. I'm gonna grow an herb garden. Um, because I'm gonna be in this secret undisclosed location. At least until June. Uh, yeah. Uh, current events! Yeah, uh... Comic-Con got cancelled. There, that's a thing. That's, like, current events pop culture referency-ness. Um, I wasn't gonna go anyway. But, uh... Yeah, I, I heard a, a YouTuber that I really like called Movie Bob talking about how uh, we should all try to support the artists and artisans who normally vend at something like Comic-Con. Uh, and that's true. I It's something that I've been trying to do in my nightly Instagram streams where I take requests and play songs. But if you know of an artist or an artisan, especially an artisan, because a lot of performance artists like myself, we can get on Instagram or Twitch or whatever and do a live stream. But if you know any artists like people who make leather belts at events that you usually go to and you've been thinking about getting a belt from them, get a belt from them. A lot of artists have Etsy pages or whatever. Try to seek them out and show them some love. Uh, I, there's an artist I like and I commissioned a knitted wool hat from, from her and it's just great. I love it so much and it's a lot more special. I mean, it, you know, it only cost a few bucks, but, um, it's more special because I know that those few bucks really helped a friend, um, in a difficult time. So there you go. Uh, there, I've commented on something in the current cultural zeitgeist. Now, let's, uh, let's get to the show. Strangely recommends, in 200 words or less, including these 11. Who imposed this rule? Dante's Vita Nuova. Rather than an epic exploration of the afterlife like Dante's later works, this little book collects prose and poetry exploring the idea of love. Similar in outline to Shakespeare's plays centuries later, it begins as a comedy of errors, complete with hilarious misunderstandings, before descending into a tragic second half. Dante falls in love with Beatrice, and then Beatrice dies. I wish I had been aware of this reference while reading Lemony Snicket's series of unfortunate events. Dante's Cyrano in this story is the literal personification of the concept of love, a swarthy gentleman who seems just as likely to goad him into foolishness as to provide aid. This odd little tome straddles the line between narrative poetry recital, and literary criticism, with Dante taking great pains to explain the intricacies of the poetry he includes. There's also a lengthy discourse on the idea of love itself, what it means, how we experience it, and what it feels like to lose it. If you're curious about Dante but not really ready to slog through the big books, give this a read. 
It's only like 80 pages. So as I mentioned at the top of the podcast, I don't have an in-studio guest. I wasn't you know, able to chat with anyone this week, but my dear friend Sarah Shea uh, respond, recorded a response of herself answering a bunch of questions. So I'm going to turn it over to Sarah Shea. Hey, Sarah. Hello, strangely, and hello, friends. This is Sarah Shea. Some of you may know me from the other podcast that Strangely does, Pilot House, which we do together and we talk about TV shows and it's really fun and I really miss doing it. And I hope that we can actually record a new episode uh, someday in the not too distant future. That would be nice. Uh, at any rate, if you're not familiar with me, I'm also a musician and podcaster and writer, uh, much like Strangely. And he asked me to do this little audio postcard thing. And he gave me some questions and said I could answer all or none or part of them. So I'm just going to go ahead and answer each of them and try and keep the answers relatively brief because I ramble, as you can tell from the first minute of this thing. So here's let's uh, start with question number one. What is your favorite thing you've done or been involved with in the last month? This could be something you cooked, something you made, or an event you attended in person or via the internet. Well, uh, I haven't been going to any events in person over the past month, although the last thing that I did before completely uh, hunkering down was to help Strangely run a live stream for a really awesome circus show by some friends of ours called Afraid Not Circus, and they did this amazing music and, and circus show called The, the Vivarium. Uh, I've been told there's a really lame horror movie uh, that's also out called Vivarium right now. That's not what I'm talking about. Don't go watch that. Go to, I think, afraidnotcircus.com and the, they have the video there that you can watch. And it's a very cool uh, circus show. And, you know, even at the time that they did it, you know, they canceled their proper run of the show and just did a live stream with a few people in the audience. And that was the last, you know, any kind of... Uh, non-essential going out in public that I did and it was maybe a slight risk but I am so glad that I went because even at that point where I had been sort of low-key isolating for a, over a week at that point and a lot watching lots of you know friends live streaming because they had had concerts canceled just going and seeing art happen in front of my eyes like brought me to tears several times during the show it was really amazing and the music is wonderful so I highly recommend that you go check that out it's really cool okay question number two if you could strap every single person on earth down to a chair and make them experience one or more pieces of media films books music what would they be I mean I wouldn't because not everybody is going to enjoy the same things I don't think there's a single piece of media I like that I actually think every single person on earth should watch or would enjoy. Uh, I wish I had an answer that was something that's like really meaningful or really important with a capital I that I truly think everyone on the planet needs to know about. I'm sure that there are some really weighty documentaries out there about very important topics that everyone actually should see. But I don't know of any. <laughs> I can't think of any off the top of my head. But... In the spirit of the question, if not the letter of it, 
trying to think of the one, if I could pick one piece of media that I wish at least more people had seen. You know, there's this podcaster I really like, Mark McConville, and he has a turn of phrase he uses for this kind of situation. When someone presses him, like, what's your favorite thing? Or what's the best of, of category? He says, I'm the kind of person who needs to see the menu. And I am that person. And I love that he gave me that turn of phrase to use for this situation, because I have a really hard time picking a favorite of something if I'm not given specific parameters, like an actual list. Unless I've already picked, like if I have a canan canonical, <laughs> if I have a canonical answer to that question that I already know, but if it's something I've never picked my favorite of something before, like, I don't know, man, I can't just pick it. I can't think of things. I need to see the menu. So of all of the media, films, books, and music in the world, uh, unfortunately, I can't, I can't go look at a, a, a menu for that. I'm trying to think of something to answer anyway. Um... <laughs> You know what? I'm just going to say the thrilling adventure hour, actually. And the the sad thing about this is that uh, it's this amazing podcast. And currently all of the, the episodes, well, most of the episodes, the vast majority are currently behind a paywall, which really bums me out. It's an amazing show. And the people who created it put a lot of work into it. And they have every right to want to monetize that work. But it bums me the hell out. I want more people to be able to experience it. And they can't, you know, there's like a handful of their like top episodes that are still available publicly. But I at least one of the segments they do has like a real narrative to it. And you can't follow that narrative now without uh, putting money into their Patreon. And I don't know, it, it bums me out because it blocks uh, lower income people. It, yeah, it, that kind of bums me out. But let me pitch it to you anyway. <laughs> It's uh, a new time podcast in the style of old time radio. That's their slogan. Uh, they did live monthly shows in L.A. for 10 years. And for the last five years of those 10 years, they did it as a podcast. They would record it and then release the segments throughout the month. They had three segments a night. Uh, two of those segments were always Sparks, Nevada, Marshall on Mars, which was uh, sort of a combination of old westerns and old sci-fi, like kind of Flash Gordon-esque uh, about a marshal on Mars uh, named Sparks Nevada, played by Mark Evan Jackson. Sigh. And one of them was called Beyond Belief, which was sort of a supernatural answer to the thin man. A high society married couple uh, who c drink constantly and are adorably in love with each other are constantly being uh, asked by p various people to help them solve different supernatural problems. And they're so, 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 so funny. In the middle segment, they had a bunch of different ones that kind of changed over time. My personal favorite was called Down in Moonshine Holler. It's sort of a, a bit of a parody of um, uh, Sullivan's Travels, where a millionaire meets a hobo princess and falls in love with her. But she says she can never love him because he doesn't understand, you know, the hobo life. He's just this you know, millionaire who doesn't know what life is really all about. So he finds this hobo mentor and changes his name from Jasper Manor Lodge to Banjo Bindle Stuff and goes and rides the rails learning the hobo way and trying to find his hobo princess. And boy, anyone who knows me is not at all surprised to find out that's my favorite. But it was an insanely funny show. Incredibly good writing. Amazing, amazing cast. I've... Uh, Paul F. Tompkins and Paget Brewster play the uh, the married mediums in Beyond Belief. 
I mean, like I said, Mark Evan Jackson, and then just an amazing cast of people. You may be less familiar with Craig Kukowski, Hal Lublin, Mark Agliardi. Um, it got amazing other uh, cameo people who started coming on the show because it got so popular. I mean, they've heard Clark Gregg, Nathan Fillion loved doing the show so much he became a recurring character on Sparks Nevada and had like his own arc as Cactoid Jim. Delightful. Anyway, it's just, it's a great show and I love it a lot and I want more people to experience it. Um, so I hope that someday they maybe release all of the episodes in a way that you can access without, I don't know, without having to be a Patreon patron. So uh, that was a very long answer to that question. Let's go on to number three. What would you be overjoyed to receive 100 of in the mail? And the answer to that right now uh, is probably, uh, wow, there's so many things I would like to receive in the mail right now, but I don't know if there's anything I would want 100 of. Um, I'm going to say individual serving creamer packets of um, Cinnabon flavored coffee creamer because I love that stuff and the little packets are uh, shelf stable. So that'd be really useful right now. <laughs> All right. And number four, if Strangely were to song about any topic in the world, what would you like it to be? To be honest, my favorite Strangely songs are the ones he writes about an experience in his own life. Like um, I Can't Die Unbooked and uh, Next Great Adventure and Fishing Poles. So it, yeah, uh, if, if Strangely wrote a song about any topic in the world, I would want it to be the next thing that makes him feel passionate about writing a song. That's all I want from him. Oh, how cheesy. <laughs> Anyway, um, it says on this in email to finally promote your website, Patreon, Instagram, etc. So uh, sarahshay.com has links to all of my things. Um, I have a Patreon, patreon.com slash sarahshay. I also have uh, Bandcamp subscriptions, which I'm trying to push a little bit more than the Patreon. I think it's a better deal. When you sign up to be a Bandcamp subscriber, you get uh, all of my back catalog downloaded for free. Anyway, I'm rambling. The point is you get more stuff right away when you sign up for the Bandcamp subscriptions. But yeah, if you go to sarahshay.com, you'll find links to all of the things that I do, music, and uh, I have a new audiobook also on my Bandcamp that strangely narrated one of the stories in. So you should definitely check that out. Um, and that's all. I went over the time limit that Strangely gave me by two minutes. Yay! <laughs> So that was Sarah Shea, who is one of my favorite humans. Uh, please go check out all of Sarah's social media and things. And check out our other podcasts that we do together, Pilot House. I It was just so fun to get to listen to that from Sarah. And actually, I'm going to say this to Sarah because I know that Sarah's going to be listening to this at some point to hear me respond. Sarah, don't worry about the time limit at all. There is no time limit on the internet. I just like to give people a rough idea of how much time to make something like that just so they don't feel like, oh man, I have to make 30 minutes or something. Uh, by the way, Sarah, I couldn't resist. I went online and ordered you 100 of those little creamers. So keep your eyes peeled. Those should be showing up at your house at some point soon. Uh, and just for you, Sarah, and anyone else who'd like to hear it, here is my song, Fishing Poles. Here 
here's a note to let you know We're not booking your show We've seen enough of all the things you do Our festival's got other bands Other acts from motherlands We've gotten all we wanted out of you Gotten all we wanted out of you well, when it's time to end this ride, pack my things and say goodbye, I don't think that it'll be too hard. There's other spots for me to see, other things that I could be, the fishing pole's already in the car. The fishing pole's already in the car. Hey there, did you see this post? Flying out from coast to coast It seems somebody thinks that you are trash <laughs> Well maybe you should never play Pack your songs and go away Please just shave that hashtag bad mustache Please just shave that hashtag bad mustache well, when it's time to end this ride, pack my things and say goodbye. I don't think that it'll be too hard. There's other spots for me to see, other things that I could be. The fishing pole's already in the car. Fishing pole's already in the car. You know, I've been out there looking for an unwritten life. Making up my own rules as I go If there's one thing I've learned all this time Comporting with this show of mine It all keeps going even if I don't It all keeps going even if I don't When it's time to end this ride Pack my things and say goodbye I don't think that it'll be too hard there's other stuff for me to see, other things that I could be. The fishing pole's already in the car. The fishing pole's already in the car. Here's a thought. Books can be disposable fun, too. Do you ever pick up a book you've been meaning to read? A, a someday book? Perhaps you've got a copy of Gravity's Rainbow sitting on your desk and you know you should read it. Or there's Le, Le Miserables on the bookcase. Heck, your dad gave you that book about God and dealing with grief last Christmas. W whatever the book is, I'm sure you know which book I'm talking about and where it is in your home right now. You've probably picked up this book a couple of times there, there might even be an old receipt tucked into it about four pages in. You tried to read the book, and someday you will. Someday. Now, contrary to where this seems to be going, I'm not here to shame you for not finishing that book. In fact, I'm here to admonish you in the opposite direction. Listen, friend, there are simply too many damn books out there. So why spend the time on that one? Until I was 16, I was homeschooled. I'm sure that explains a lot. For at least 50% of my day. Below the age of 13, that number is over 75%. As a result, there was a good deal of flexibility in how I spent my day. My mother also took us to the public library at least once a week. 
This in spite of the fact that the public library in my hometown is a garbage institution run by people who seem to hate the idea that children would enjoy books. I know it sounds weird that I hate my hometown library, but they are legitimately horrific people. I, it was not until my 20s when I experienced libraries in other cities and countries that I found out libraries are wonderful. Honest, I have three library cards from major lending libraries on three continents, and I love going to libraries in new towns just to sit and read and enjoy myself. But the public library in my hometown? Trash. I mean, who sends a nine-year-old to collections over an overdue book? Who? Who does that? And it was misfiled in the library. Like it was their fucking fault. A black mark on the very concept of community institutions is what they are. Where was I? Ah, libraries are great. Just not the one I grew up with. Ah, regular trips to the library though, when I was a kid, were amazing. My sister and I were allowed to check out whatever we wanted, so we did. I devoured Redwall, Narnia, Little House on the Prairie, James Harriet, Lord of the Rings, Dick King Smith, and every book I could grab that had anything to do with dinosaurs. Then when I was 12, the obsession with dinosaurs changed to marine biology, which was equally awesome. But my favorite reading memories from my childhood were definitely the Star Wars Extended Universe. For some reason, beyond my comprehension, as long as I was reading something on paper bound between covers and my homework was finished, my mother did not much care what it was. Granted, it didn't have the words magic, evil, or wizard anywhere near it. The Harry Potter moral panic is a topic for another episode of this podcast. For the most part, I was left to my own devices to just read. One of the clearest memories of reading Star Wars books as a child was finally getting my copy of Shadows of the Empire, about two years after everyone else because I had to wait for the library holds and whatnot. The book was part of a massive multimedia project that Lucasfilm did in 1996 that included the novel, a video game, comics, toys, and probably lunchboxes. The story concerned the events taking place between The Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi. And it was epic! Luke made his lightsaber, Leia tangled with the Black Sun crime syndicate, and since Han was... <coughs> Uh, indisposed. There was a new sexy rogue named Dash Rendar, who had like a swoop bike. Oh, it's so cool. It was awesome. My favorite part in the book, though, was a passage in which Darth Vader decides to kill one of his underlings. In The Empire Strikes Back, Vader is a terrifying figure who flies off the handle at nothing. He kills more of his own dudes than the rebels do, it seems like. It's awesome. And there's no rhyme or reason to it. He's just a force of nature. But then in Steve Perry's novel, you get the internal push-pull in Vader's mind. He's conflicted. He doesn't want to do it, but he does it. Wow! I realized in that moment that books tell you what the character is thinking. I couldn't wait to read the passage aloud to my mom, who was less than impressed. I have to admit, she was happy for me, but I think she might have mumbled something about Oliver Twist being a better use of my reading time. I can't remember. Finally, I had made the connection of what books could do that no other medium could do as well. Viewpoints could shift. The interior perspective of a character, even one in an impenetrable mask, could be communicated. I've carried this memory like a mountaineer's ice axe in my pack of literary tools ever since. I owe my mum for that. Her lack of propriety when it came to Star Wars novels allowed me to learn the value of the printed word for myself in a way I doubt I would have gotten if I'd only been reading improving literature that was good for me. 
So much of literature and the literary establishment is about telling us which books we should read, which books are good for us. I'm sure if you think back to your school days, there was some book you had to read for school. Maybe The Catcher in the Rye, Red Badge of Courage, All Quiet on the Western Front. And that's just the ones I had. I'm sure they're fine books, maybe they have some value, but the teachers who handed them to me sure didn't seem to think so. Is it any wonder many of us reach adulthood hating reading? On the flip side of that coin, I was assigned a number of books that flayed my skull open and left me feeling like everything had changed forever. Books like Crime and Punishment, Silas Marner, Jane Eyre. That is not to say that any of them are of higher quality than the previously three mentioned books, but they were taught with great enthusiasm by teachers who seemed to have read them, enjoyed them, loved them. Is it any wonder that I reached adulthood with my love of reading intact? Nobody thinks of watching a dumb movie for fun as bad. I myself am guilty of forcing at least three friends to watch National Treasure over the years. Small wonder. I'm a history major, so it's like watching the sexy version of my field of study, if you can call Nicolas Cage sexy. I, I think there are strong arguments to be made for low-stakes entertainment. Not everything has to be one of those witty documentaries on important subjects that Sarah mentioned. That's not a dig at those documentaries at all, but it does point to the big idea I'm flailing at here. We don't always get the important lessons from important films. I learned more about loyalty, friendship, courage, and homoerotic tension from the Lord of the Rings trilogy than I ever did from Brokeback Mountain, even though the latter is, by critical consensus, some kind of important film. Likewise, I learned far more about literary possibility from Shadows of the Empire than I ever did from accordion crimes. That's not a diss on Annie Proust so much as a swipe at important books. So don't worry about it. Read what you want. Who cares if it's trash? I have a friend who is currently working her way through a milk crate full of 30, a 30-volume 30 paperback high fantasy gay romance series. She has multiple times made dismissive comments to me about how trashy it is, and yet she can't stop reading it, you know? Maybe it is, but I hope she's not beating herself up about it. One need only contemplate the sheer number of books which exist on every single conceivable topic to ascertain that it is impossible to read them all. Heck, it's impossible to read every book on a given topic, or even every book on a given topic in a given language. Instead of being disheartened, one should find this information liberating. No piece of media is, as Sarah put it in her audio postcard, so important as to be required for the whole human race. Anyone who states otherwise is, at best, charmingly myopic, and at worst, a complete and utter tool factory. There are plenty of well-regarded books that are a pleasure to read, that are a joy to consume, that you'll dance through like me at the grocery store with someone else's credit card. I myself just finished my second read-through of Dante's Inferno, and I loved every page. I found it equal parts terrifying and hilarious, and cannot recommend it highly enough. But for you, it might be something different. Sometimes it is even for me. I have been simultaneously working through my own doorstop fantasy series full of characters of dubious orientation. And honestly, Joe Abercrombie's books are so good. It's like he saw George R. R. Martin claiming to be top dog and said, Hold my steroid-laced cocaine. I know other writers have tackled this subject with far more verve and alacrity than I, but 
I hope I've communicated something extra with the inclusion of my own personal memories on this. You never know which book will give you what tools. Go, friends! Read boldly, read with pleasure, and never forget. Because I read books, I know what Darth Vader is thinking. I need more coffee. Hokey Fright, have you heard about National Treasure? This film is the very definition of what this segment is supposed to be about. This is a place to chat about, discuss, review, rant on, and share my love of art that I can't call good, but I can't stop thinking about for some reason. National Treasure came out at some point during the aughts with a whole raft of odd choices. But what do you expect when you pair Jerry Bruckenheimer at the height of his powers with Nicolas Cage, whose powers know no bounds? You get this confusingly good film. Much like Stephen Norrington's League of Extraordinary Gentlemen or George Lucas's Star, The Phantom Menace Wars, does that series title surrounding individual film title thing bother any of you as much as it bothers me? Much like those other films, I keep returning to National Treasure because I just can't help it. There's an irresistible something here. I think part of it is how seriously the film takes itself. Even though it's a romp, it's a caper, it's an adventure story in the vein of Indiana Jones or Romancing the Stone, and yet everyone acts like what's happening is the most important thing. Dr. Jones at least had a grin on his face when he punched out three Nazis at once. You know what I'm saying? And yet, watching Cage look at his assistant and say with perfect sincerity, I'm going to steal the Declaration of Independence always fills my heart with joy. Well, that and the fact that the music in this is straight out of a Michael Bay film or an Army National Guard recruitment video. Don't even get me started on the romance subplot in this film, where Cage somehow catches the eye of a woman who is something like 15 years his junior. Now, I know this happens in Hollywood films all the time, but usually there is at least something happening by way of the male romantic lead being, you know, George Clooney or Brad Pitt or something. He's a guy who's been engineered to be handsome by an army of dietitians, stylists, makeup artists, personal trainers, intense workouts, and so on. The woman is always playing somebody older than she actually is. The numbers are being fudged somehow. I'm not excusing this trend. I'm just pointing out that in most of these things, there's some sort of vague reasoning behind what's happening. I'm pointing this out because in National Treasure, there is no reasoning. Nothing about it makes sense. If Lou Diamond Phillips were playing this part, you might understand why Benjamin Franklin Gates... Yes! That is his real... Yes! That is his real fucking name! <laughs> Would turn this hot young PhD's head, but nope. What you get is Nicolas Cage in full cage nonsense mode, receding hairline on proud show, <clears throat> getting the girl, if you'll pardon the expression. And the whole thing is so bloodless as to be confusing. Again, in many age-distorted Hollywood romances, the leads at least play it with verve and conviction, but here, the closest they get to a steamy scene is when they both breathe heavily on the Declaration of Independence. What? But I, I still, I've seen the movie like eight times and I can't fucking get over it. 
It's so... It's weird. It's just... It's weird. Look, this film has to be seen to be believed. Somebody clearly wrote the script to have a hot lady scientist doctor history buff who meets a guy stealing the Declaration of Independence in sploosh, or whatever the expression is. Trust me, this is probably one of the most confusing romantic pairings I've ever seen on screen, and I loved Swiss Army Man, so I know of what I speak. For those of you not already sold on this bizarre film, let me give you a quick rundown. Benjamin Franklin Gates, yes, that's his name, is the newest in the Gates family's long line of treasure hunters. His dad is played by John Voigt, who is just pretending to be John Voigt, and his dad is played by Christopher Plummer, who is basically just playing Christopher Plummer. Also, Sean Bean is in this. Of course, he ends up dying. So, Benjamin Franklin Gates, yes! is in search of a legendary lost treasure of the Knights Templar and something-something mumbo-jumbo founding fathers Betsy Ross American flag stars. At the beginning of the film, he finds a lost scrimshaw pipe that is over 200 years old. The neck comes loose and can be rolled across paper to make, like, a woodblock print. So what does Benjamin Franklin Cage do? He slices open his own thumb, rubs his blood all over the pipe, and then uses that to print the message. That's the kind of film this is. Even Indiana Jones had a frickin' crayon in his pocket. Like, do you not have a crayon, Nicholas? Like, my personal theory is that Cage just improvised that moment. Like, he was supposed to do a thing with a crayon. He's like, what if I just slice my thumb open? Uh. Anyway, the, the clue on the pipe, the blood pipe clue th is that the, there's this treasure map on the back of the Declaration of Independence. So he has to steal it. It's... And yet, there's something so charmingly, brazenly, bizarrely America about this film. Like, part of it might be that its appearance soon after the 11 September 2001 terrorist attacks in New York City made it more patriotic. That kind of rah-rah, America flag-waving was pretty big then. But at the same time, it's got something else going on as well. This film genuinely loves my country in a way that I don't think I will ever fully understand. It loves it so much that its idea of a steamy moment for its romantic leads is to have them both breathe heavily on the Declaration of Independence. Listen. This is pure and simple nonsense of the highest degree, and it is horrendously delightful. It's available on most of the streaming services in one way or another, and even if you don't like it, you'll sure find it compelling. Look, I'm not saying it's good, but at least now you've heard about it. Ooh, the Declaration of Independence. <gasps> like, what? what is that? <laughs> Song of the Week. This week's song is by a dear friend of mine named Nathaniel Johnstone, who is not aware that I'm covering it, so I might be skirting some sort of, like, copyright rules, but I'm sure he'll like it. Uh, this song is originally kind of like a, a metal song with a lot of crunch and some, like, you know, <laughs> type guitars and stuff. Um, and it's it's sung like, like that kind of voice. Uh, but someone asked me to cover it, 
And this is what I did to it. So this is Nathaniel Johnstone Band's Frog and Toad. update. So this is the segment of my podcast where I give you an update on my New Year's resolutions. So here we go. Number one, read Moby Dick. Still no Moby Dick. However, I am now 33% of the way through Dante's Divine Comedy, so that's something. Number two, learn to understand my carbon footprint. No driving at all this week. However, I did do a bunch of reading on the difference between hydrogenated and non-hydrogenated oils, which is... Well, it's so weird that a non-hydrogenated oil still has hydrogen in it, just less. Like, most living things are pretty much made of about four elements, which is crazy when you think about it. Like, glucose, sucrose, lactose, lipids, polypeptides. Like, it's all just different arrangements of carbon, hydrogen, oxygen, and, like, maybe some nitrogen. I clearly missed out not pursuing STEM. Like, how do folks in the hard scientists, sciences not have serious mental breakdowns when they all grapple with this stuff? Like, I'm not even high, and I want to spend hours staring at my own hand. I've got to go get a microscope. Number three, finish lessons. I've been doing this. Here's your finished word of the week. Susie, which means wolf. There's also a nice, 
Naisankari? I'm totally saying it wrong. Naisankari. Probably like that. Which also translates as wolf, but it has a more colloquial meaning of womanizer. Number four, quit watching streaming stuff. So, I'm, I obviously the world has changed a lot since I made this resolution. I wanted to stop watching YouTube all the time and, and Netflix and stuff. So, I did. And now I'm debating whether to use the free Apple TV subscription with my new computer. So, I've still not signed up for it. I might at some point, but I'm still working through the Veronica Mars DVDs that my friend loaned me. I'm almost done with season two. And my Lord of the Rings Extended Edition DVDs just arrived, so I'll probably go watch those first. Number five, make at least 36 episodes of this podcast. Well, this is the second one for this month, and I'm hoping to get a third out, so let's see. Counting this one, that's four out of 36, so that's one-ninth, more than 10%. Go me. Number six. Read 56 books. I've read 27 books so far this year. I'm obviously dashing past par for this week. 50 Word Movie Reviews Onward. This story has been mathematically designed to cut your heart out three times at the 5, 65, and 85 minute marks. So, you know, a Pixar film. Still, this is the best possible execution of a concept Bright didn't know how to handle. Provoke genuine laughs and genuine tears, too. Mailbag. I'm not currently in Bellingham, but you can still send paper mail to Strangely, 1000 Harris Avenue, Bellingham, Washington, 98225. Also, in light of current regulations in some places, I'll be relaxing my communication style to include email and Patreon messages. So you don't have to worry about leaving the house to stay in touch. You can send emails to strangely.duesburg at gmail.com. My last name is spelled D-O-E-S-B-U-R-G. I look forward to hearing from you. Well, folks, that about does it for this week's episode of Strangely and Friends, the podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Strangely and Friends, the podcast is produced in a secret, undisclosed location by me, Strangely Duesberg. This podcast is made possible by my incredible supporters on Patreon, and I'd like to give an extra special welcome to my newest patrons this week, Renee Huerta, am I pronouncing that right? Emily Johnson and Bladybug. Welcome to the team! My executive producer patron is Kim Truitt. Hey Kim, if you want a different title, just let me know. Check out patreon.com strangely to find out how you can help me make more of whatever this podcast is becoming. Strangely and Friends, the podcast is a Herringbone Society production. Oh, Drat, I'm supposed to read you a limerick or something at the end of this. Um, I'll just grab my trusty Edward Lear and flip to a random page. There was an old man of Grange, whose manners were scrubious and strange. He sailed to St. Blub in a waterproof tub that aquatic old person of Grange. And there you go. See y'all next week.